Today, I want to start a new series on the Lord's Prayer. A number of years ago, Dr. Rutland came in and, and did a teaching on the Lord's Prayer, the 23rd Psalm. And, uh, and he, you know, he did a great job. He's a great speaker, as we all know. He'll be back with us next year at some point, I'm sure. But I just have felt over the last few months that I wanted to go into these two passages and really dig and go down as deep as we can possibly go and break it up instead of one Sunday, break it up over a couple of weeks. So we're going to take the Lord's Prayer this Sunday and next Sunday and kind of break it down and, and look at it. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew 6, we're talking uh, this morning out of that. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version of the Bible because it's really that and the KJVs where I memorized that initially... And as you hear me on Sunday in and Sunday out, I'm, I'm kind of a conglomeration of the KJV, New King James, NIV, NLT, Phil, whatever, as I say it. So do you most of the time. But let's look at it and then we'll get into, into this teaching today. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, be with us throughout the remainder of this morning, God. Continue to open our minds and open our hearts. We thank you for, for your presence that we felt in this place thus far. Continue to reign supreme in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, whether you call this the Lord's Prayer, whether you call it the Our Father, or whether you call it the Disciples' Prayer, it really doesn't matter. Some people get kind of wrapped up in some of this sometimes, but it doesn't really matter. But what I want you to see today is that the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer. It is a corporate prayer. Our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us not. It's all, it all corporate, but it has personal ramifications. So how should we pray the Lord's Prayer? Some say that we should pray it exactly as it is written, saying it verbatim. For some of us trying to do it by memory, that's hard. It kind of gets all jumbled up with different things, different translations. Others say that you pray it as a model by using the format. You take the praise, and then you got one, one, uh, one individual says there's three or four petitions. One says there's six petitions. There's a praise in the beginning and a praise at the end. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. It doesn't matter. Okay? Here's the real deal. Whether you pray it either or, I don't think you should pray either or. I think you should pray both and. As a model prayer and pray it verbatim. I remember the first time, I, I'm sure I heard it when I was a really young boy. But the first time that I remember playing, praying the Lord's Prayer publicly was when I started playing football in middle school. Before we went out on the field, our, our coach would get us together and we would get in a circle. I know you, it's really dicey these days, you can't do this very much. But we would pray the Lord's Prayer before we went on to the football field. You know, it's like God help us destroy these guys across the, across the field from us there. <clears throat> That's kind of the, the concept that you have when you're 12, 13, 14 years old. But the deal is this, and, and, and it, look, when we started praying this Sunday in and Sunday out a few years ago, it's been interesting to me. And I'm just going to bring out a couple things, and, and then I'm going to get it off my chest, and then I'll talk to you about the passage. Um... Some here have embraced it wholeheartedly, especially those of you that have a more liturgical background. You, you grew up in Catholicism or some other liturgical type uh, tradition. The Our Father is a very special prayer to you, and I get that. Others, on the flip side of it, maybe the Pentecostal or Charismatics uh, have not embraced it as, he as heavily in Mass because uh, we say we don't want any part in liturgy. 
It quenches the spirit. We don't want to form a religion. We want the spirit to move freely, and liturgy, liturgy doesn't allow for that, or so sometimes we think. Um, I tend to believe that every religious tradition or practice has, some, has its own liturgy, whether you're Roman Catholic or whether you're charismatic. And everything in between, you have some type of liturgy because liturgy simply means a form or formula according to which public religious worship, especially Christian worship, is conducted. All right, now we may not put it in the bulletin or on the program or service order, but it's there nonetheless. Some places it looks like this. We start with a happy song, we sing another happy song. We sing a sad song, a sad song. Then we take an offering, make some announcements. Then we have a sermon, an altar call, and then we dismiss. At GNU, it looks like this. Countdown, five minutes. Song, song, prayer team sometimes. Song, song, two-minute greeting, offering, announcement, sermon, prayer, Tommy, dismissal. <laughs> what is that? Liturgy. We all like what we like. What's really fun for us as, as staff pastors, especially those from the platform, is when we throw a monkey wrench in the works on Sunday mornings. If we do some, sometimes we just do it just to watch your faces on Sunday morning. <laughs> we, move, we used to move the chairs just to see how you would react on Sunday morning. And some of you just kind of like, I don't know where I'm sitting now. Where do I go? Look, here's the, here's the bottom line. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter where you go to church. If you tend here or somewhere else, we all have liturgy. It's just the form by which we do church. You can't look at the Catholics and go, oh, they're too liturgical when as charismatics we have the same thing. We just may not have the little smoky thing coming down the aisle with a priest dressed up in a thing. We still have liturgy, okay? You have a pastor that wears cowboy boots on Sunday morning. It's not a whole, not a whole lot of difference, okay? Not a whole lot of difference. All right, it's still liturgy. But all that aside, there's more to this prayer than liturgy. And I want us to take a couple of weeks and I want us to kind of dive into it today, next week, and really kind of take it apart and take it for what it is. And here, here's what it is it is the words of Jesus Christ. All right, so let's just kind of break it down this morning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It begins with praise. Praise to who God is. God is holy, hallowed, holy. That's, what, that's how it starts. It's a, it's, a, it's a stepping back from everything that's gone on up to this point and stepping back and taking a moment to just focus on the reality that our Heavenly Father, our Father in Heaven, is holy. But he says, our Father. Remember, we talked about this is a corporate deal. Once again, Jesus is imparting to us the importance of community. Our Father, community. We are in this together. When we pray this prayer on Sunday mornings, we pray it in community. We pray it in connection. We pray it in communion with one another and with our Heavenly Father. Our Father. The community aspect of God, the community aspect of His church. And then hallowed, or hallowed, depending on how you pronounce it. It means this, it is holy already. Our Father, who is already holy. We're just stepping back in the moment and refocusing and pointing our eyes and our hearts and our spirits in that moment when God's people recognize and acknowledge his holiness by giving God the reverence that's due his name. And this reverence that's due him. 
All through the Old Testament, and even in the New, there are times when you see this, especially in the book of Judges. You see that, that uh, the people of Israel would go through a season and they would serve God wholeheartedly and then, then for some reason they would begin to fall away from God. They would begin to turn their backs on God and, and the Bible says they would do what was right in their own eyes and it would say this, they have no fear of God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. What is that talking about? I'm that I should be scared of God. And it's not about being afraid of God. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. God wants us to, to the fear means to reverence him. To step back in that moment, our Father, hallowed be your name. I'm taking the time to recognize that you're not becoming holy. You are holy already. And I'm keeping my eyes focused on you, God. They knew God, Romans says, but they didn't glorify him as God. What does that mean? The same kind of thing. We have this mentality of God. I talked about this Wednesday night with the freedom groups about how we, are, we claim to be Christians, but we live more like atheists. Because we go, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but we live as though God doesn't exist in our day-to-day -day life. What is that? That's atheism. Oh, God, it's okay that you can save my soul, but you're not going to help me with my daily bread. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But yet the reality of it is when we reset with the Our Father, when we reset with this prayer, we're stepping back and going, God, you are already holy, and I acknowledge that. It's a reset to keep his name holy. In the commands, he said, do not use my name in vain. This is why. Because his person, his name, is a holy name. And it's a reset when we pray the, this prayer. Number two, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the first petition of this prayer. It's a petition for God's kingdom, God's will to come to pass. Your kingdom come. It's here. It's already here. We're not waiting for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom came when Jesus was born in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago. Can you believe we're like a month and a half away from Christmas? <laughs> Two months. Yeah. Wow. Guys, do you know what she wants? <laughs> Find out. Find out. Now. Don't wait till Christmas Eve. Some of the stores close now on Christmas Eve. All right? Your kingdom come. Your kingdom, the kingdom of God is here already. Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's been back. He comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent there is different than other places repent is used. Other places when repent is used, it means to turn away from and to turn to. In this instance, it means to think differently. What Jesus is saying when he comes out and says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. He said, repent, think differently, or you're going to miss the kingdom. And they did. Because they were looking for a, a conquering hero on a white horse. They were looking for a military conqueror to come in and deliver them from Rome. But they didn't get that. They got a baby in a manger. And because they were looking for something else, and they were thinking differently, they missed the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom was in their midst, walking and talking with them every day. And they completely missed the reality of the kingdom of God. So what does that have to do with us in the 21st century? Here's what it has to do. Repent. Think differently because the kingdom is here now, right now. We're not waiting for God's kingdom to come and be set up. God's kingdom is here among us. We are God's kingdom. You're kings and priests unto God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So is there more of the kingdom to come? Yes, the kingdom's already here, but there's more to come. There's more to come. Think differently or you're going to miss it. Here's another thought. God's kingdom is now. 
God is not going to become king of this world at some other point. He is the king of this world. I thought Satan was the ruler of this world. No, he just thinks he is. See, here's the problem with, with most Christians. We think that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of this world. Let me tell you, the ruler of the kingdom of this world is the one that created this world. Satan is not the king of this world. God is the creator. God is the king. He's not coming to be king. He's king now. Okay? Satan's only been given the authority over those that refuse God as king. There's your thought. We're not waiting on God to become the ruler of this world and the world in eternity. God is still the creator. He's still God. He's the only one true God. Then he says, your will be done. Here it goes. Already, not yet. God's kingdom is here. God's will is here already. But yet there's more. God's will, his kingship is eternally honored in heaven is what he's saying. Now, that has to happen on this earth. That has to happen on this earth. And here's the part that really confuses people on Sunday when I pray the Lord's Prayer with you. Because the New King James says, and the, and the KJV says, on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of the modern translations say, on earth as it is in heaven. The word on there is actually in. In the earliest of translations, it didn't say on earth as it is in heaven. It says in earth as it is in heaven. Why? Why is that? Everything in this prayer from this point forward is about the person or people praying the prayer. It's a very personal prayer with the exception of the praise at the beginning and the praise at the end. This is a very personal prayer. But look what it says. In earth as it is in heaven. And here's what we're going to do before next Sunday. We're going to change the slide. And we're going to take on off and put in in its place because it's the correct pronunciation. It's the correct translation of this prayer. Now, why would Jesus pray, your, work, your, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Because it becomes personal. All right? In Genesis 2, we find out that we were formed. God formed man from the dust of the ground. In Genesis 3.19, it says, from dust you came and to, from dust you will return. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Earthen vessels, one tradition said. We have this treasure. What's that treasure? Jesus Christ living inside of us. In earthen vessels, dust, dirt, in. If this is the case, and I believe that it is, then it's more about me becoming a new creation as the lordship of Jesus Christ takes prominence in my life personally. So what does this mean in earth as it is in heaven? It means your will be done in this earthen vessel that is me. In me as it already is in heaven. If every believer on this planet would pray the prayer of God have God come in me, in this earthen vessel, Lord, your will be done in me. If every believer on this planet would have God's will done in their life, guess what it would do to this world in which we live in? It would impact it in a way that we don't have a clue to figure out the impact of it. It would be unbelievable. As a matter of fact, if every believer won one person and that person won one person and that person won one person, in a matter of seven days, everybody in the world would know Jesus. Seven days. That's the impact of one. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this earthen vessel that is me. The same way it's done in heaven. In heaven, God's will is is carried out explicitly. But yet we struggle with that, don't we? God tells us to do something in his word. 
we know it's the will of God, we know the word of God has said it, but yet we step back and go, well, I don't know if that really applies to me or not. Maybe that didn't work for me. You know what? God's will is God's will, and it works for all of us. Your will be done in earth as it is already done in heaven. Number three, give us this day our daily bread. Is a petition, the second petition. It's a petition for daily provision. Go all the way back in the Old Testament, Exodus 16, manna. They're in the wilderness, they're starving, they're hungry, they can't find anything to eat. God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. When you wake up in the morning, there's going to be this stuff all over the ground. Go out and pick it up. Just get enough for the day. Don't pick up too much, just get enough for you to eat. But don't pick up too much. Well, being human beings, what did they do? They went out and just picked up bushels of the stuff, and they brought it in. They ate their fill the night. They got the next morning, and the thing had maggots all in it. Now, look, I know it's right before lunch, but there's nothing nastier than a maggot. It's nasty. Yeah. I mean, I, there's not too many things that my gag reflux, but I start thinking about that, and coming up. But can you imagine getting up in the morning and you go to, go to your kitchen and there's just a bowl of wonderful stuff, whatever manna was, bread, I don't know, wheat checks, I don't know what it was called. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like. When I was a kid in, 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 in Sunday school, they would put out these sugar-coated wheat check cereals. That's how our Sunday school teacher would show us that what manna looked like. I don't know if it looked like that or not. <laughs> I know as I've gotten older, I would like it to be something other than wheat checks. <laughs> Maybe Fruit Loops or something, I don't know. <laughs> But here's the deal. Every morning they would get up. Manna's all over the ground. They pick up enough for the day. They get to the end of the week before, before the Sabbath, and he says, okay, pick up enough today and for tomorrow. What is that? That's the initial part of God providing daily for his children. Proverbs 30, verse 3 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me only my daily bread. Psalms 104, he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Psalm 143, or 104, I'm sorry. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. What is he teaching us by give us today our daily bread? Dependence. Dependence on God. Yeah, but I work, I work a 40-hour week, I work a 60-hour week, and that's not great, but at the very center of the whole issue of how many hours you work is who gave you the job, not your employer, but your creator. You're not prospered by your own talents and your own abilities. You're prospered by the hand of the one who created you. And when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're saying, Father, today I trust you to meet my needs. I trust you to meet the needs of my life. Now, notice, notice there's nothing about our wants in here. There's nothing about our wants in here. It's about the need. Daily provision. What I need today. Give me today what I need to be sustained in life. I'm not, I'm not speaking against retirement savings and all this. I mean, I, I do that. Kim and I practice. I, I'm, I'm there. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, you should practice that. 
But if all you live for is to store up in barns and store up in bank accounts and, and make sure you've got enough for the end of your life, guess what? Your life's going to end and somebody else is going to spend that. Well, I'm saving this for my kids. Why are you doing that? I'm not saving any for mine. I'm saving some, but guess what? There's going to be a day when I retire in about a decade or so, and me and Miss Kim are going to spend that money. <laughs> and if there's anything left, then Kristen and Cameron can fight over it. No, but it's not about that. The deal, the deal is, are we, are we looking to God to provide it? Asking for bread today is to acknowledge our dependence on God for, a, for routine provision. And be content with those things. 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. The lesson with, from, this, from this passage, this petition in the Lord's Prayer, is to find a place of contentment in God, knowing that God has you in the palm of his hand, and he's going to provide the things that you need on a daily basis. He's going to provide those things. Matthew 6, Jesus goes into this, this long discourse about all these things, telling us we shouldn't worry about our life, what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No, but you can take hours off of it by worrying. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that, now get this, if that is how God, verse 30 says, clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So stop worrying, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need of them. He knows you need food, he knows you need something to drink, and he knows you need clothes on your back and somewhere to, somewhere to stay. He knows you need those things. Do you trust him to provide them? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. So what's the real deal with this petition? Give us today our daily bread. It's trust. It's trust. Do I live my life as a Christian believing that God will do what he said he's going to do? Believing that God's word is true. Believing that God's word said that if I serve God and I love God and I give my whole heart and devotion to God, that he is going to meet every need of my life. If I believe that, then why don't I live that? If I believe that, then why do I keep thinking that I've got to do this myself? I've got to hold on to this stuff myself. I, I, can't, pay, I can't give offerings and pay tithes and return my tithes to the Lord because if I do that, I may not have enough to retire on someday. That's not giving me today my daily bread, God. That's saying, okay, God, I'm going to give you a little bit of dew, but I'm going to do the rest of this stuff myself because actually I can do it better than you can. And the problem with that is it's just wrong. 
It's just wrong. If we believe God is who he says he is, and we choose to live our life to honor the God that we believe is who he says he is, the Philippians says this, that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. All of my needs. But I want a new boat. That's not a need. I want a new boat myself. Not a need. My God shall supply all of my needs. Give us this day. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a matter of trust. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? That's the center of what's happening in this verse. Let's stand all over the room. This may be a curve. I don't have this in my notes. Can we put up the Lord's Prayer? As it is on the screen. Uh-oh, somebody's already changed the word. Look at there. You're the man. <laughs> Way to go, Nick. All right, let's pray this prayer together, and then Pastor Tommy's going to come. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, continue to be with us in this house, God. Continue to teach us the things that you want us to know, Father. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Real quick, next week now, I know Tommy's coming, but next week is going to be a very special service in here. We're going to have corporate communion at the very end because it's just a really, it's going to be a really deep, introspective type morning. So be here next Sunday. Tommy, thank you, bud.